Lucy Coleman writes feel-good, uplifting stories set in beautiful locations, and her most recent is Summer in Andalusia, about a Jamie Oliver-type celebrity cook fronting a TV program that sounds a lot like MasterChef. Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series. So you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler. And in Binge Reading today, Lucy talks about her remarkable work ethic she's like a book producing machine, the special appeal of Christmas stories and her contemporary romance under the pen name Lynn B. Helton. As a celebration of the season, we've got three ebook copies of Lucy's book, A Christmas Wedding in the Cotswolds, to give away to three lucky readers. Enter the romance giveaway draw on the website, thejoysofbingereading.com or on our Facebook page. You'll find links to Lucy's books and other information mentioned in the podcast on the Joys of Binge Reading website as well. As regular listeners know, we've recently launched Binge Reading on Patreon for those of you who'd like to hear more exclusive fun content about our authors and the show for a small contribution in costs, as little as a cup of coffee a month. I'd like to give a warm shout out to Margaret Jones, our most recent subscriber to join Binge Reading on Patreon. Every week I'm posting the Getting to Know You five quickfire questions from our authors, like Lucy, she'll be here the same week that this show goes out, and also other regular behind the scenes news about what's happening with the podcast. Your contribution helps defray my costs in hosting and producing the show, but the time I devote to researching and recording is still all free. So thanks to Margaret and the other staunch readers who've got in there and got our backs to keep things going. Check it out on patreon.com forward slash the joys of binge reading. That's Patreon with a P-A-T-R-E-O-N and join in the behind the scenes fun. But now here's Lucy. Hello there, Lucy, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Hi, Jenny. Thank you so much. And I've really been looking forward to this chat, especially as it's very surreal, isn't it, when you're in two different countries so far apart? That's right. Absolutely right. And you were saying just before we went on that you're in the Welsh Valleys. That's right. Yes. I was I was actually born in Bristol, which is in sort of like mainstream England. And it's literally just across at the bridge that brings us into Wales. But when we were young, Wales was a favourite jaunt for us with, with our two sons. So we spent sort of all our holidays or lots of holidays over here. It was either over in Wales or down in Cornwall. So unless we were sort of going abroad. So, yeah. So we always sort of knew we'd end up living here because we're my husband and I are inveterate movers. We've been we, we married very young. And this, I think, is our 16th house. So we've moved around a lot and enjoyed oh, wow. every single house we've lived in. You know? Yeah, that's fabulous. Look, you've made a specialty of uplifting family stories. And one of your kind of tags is heartwarming books in beautiful locations. You keep up a highly productive publishing schedule doing a summer book, it seems to me, and a Christmas book every year. Is that how it goes? Well, no. In in 2021, uh, I had three Lucy books out and two Lynn books. 
Oh, wow. So last year, yeah, last year I actually wrote four books. I have a slightly lighter schedule for next year, but quite a heavy schedule at the moment. So I probably will be doing one less. So, so like the aim is really to do sort of no more than three or four books a year because it's, I'm at the time in my life I had to wait to be able to write because obviously I had two careers, uh, sons to bring up, mortgage to pay, same bills that everyone else has to pay. And I always knew that once I sat down and actually started writing, it would be exclusively. Well, you can't do that until the kids are of an age and your grandkids are sort of like starting to grow up. And you can say, right, OK, I'll devote family time to the grandkids. But the rest of the time now is going to be me time. So this is my me time. So I'm not an obsessive reader as I used to be since, well, certainly the last couple of years with the heavy workload I've got. I am actually an obsessive writer. Oh, great. Well, the two summer books that I've read, the recent one, Summer in Provence, was published in late 2019, and Summer in Andalusia is just out in July this year. And they both very much fit that niche of heartwarming stories and beautiful locations. Tell us a bit about Summer in Andalusia, because that's the most recent one. Yeah, fortunately, because obviously my work schedule has been sort of so, so busy. And, and the part of the, the reason for that is that I just can't say no. <laughs> but I get caught up in it anyway. And I've got so many stories in my head that it's, you know, it's fine. But it early, well, it was halfway through 2019. And I said to my husband, look, let's go and do a lot of book research all in one go. So we went to Cornwall, ready for my Lynn series. We went to, we flew to Andalusia. We flew, flew off to Lisbon. Oh, we, we did a whole raft of research trips because I think even though some of these places I've been before and certainly if I write about France I've been there lots and lots of times over the year I still like to go back and just soak up the ambience and then it all just comes flooding back and when we go on research trips we literally take probably 300 photos very few of them involve myself or my husband in them it's I'll take pictures of like the stone floor and a stone wall and a beautiful bush and iconic architecture. And, you know, I mean, when we stayed at, um, we stayed at the, I got to look at the name for this, uh, it's a bit of a mouthful. Um, it was the Hotel Monasterio de San Francisco in uh, Palma de Rio, Rio. And it's in the hands of the uh, Moreno, uh, Moreno de la Cova family. And the owners were absolutely amazing they gave us a wonderful tour of the parts of the monastery that are not open to the public and it's been in, sec in secular hands in their family obviously for a very long time and usually when I write a title when I sit down to write a book I already have like a one-liner so I sort of knew there was going to be a chef in this story and I knew it was going to be somewhere hot and I knew there were going to be lemons and I said to my husband find me a monastery we've never stayed in a monastery I just think it would be the ideal setting. So he found this monastery and off we flew. Oh my gosh, it was amazing. It's, although it is a hotel, it's not hotel-y, if you know what I mean. It's, you walk in and the monastery is as it, as it was. And the room we stayed into, beautiful. You go into a narrow corridor. There's huge bathroom off to the right, little narrow corridor. And then all you see in front of you is this window with um, sort of ornate ironwork and two sort of opening out uh, windows and two internal opening out opening in shutters and a window seat and when you get there and you fling it open you just see the market garden where all of the monks farmed years ago all the neat rows and it's still a market garden today for the restaurant you know it was and as soon as we got there the story was boom 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 in my head well I had another 
I think it was another book, another whole book to write before I could write that one. But we take lots of pictures. I make a few notes because I don't like to sort of pre-plan. I don't know how many chapters there are going to be. At that stage, I did actually have the main two characters' names, but that was it. But then the minute then I was able to sit down and write it, my husband puts all the photos on a, a little stick. We put it into the TV. We've got a large TV screen where I write. And as I sort of sit down, I've just got those going in a loop. And you're instantly back there. It's wonderful, you know. And, and yeah. then, the, I mean, the characters write their own stories. I can honestly say, I don't, there's not a lot of thought between my brain and my fingers. My fingers, just the words just flow. And then they tell me what they want to do. And sometimes I'm there and I say, what? Really? <laughs> and I have had surprises and thought, I mean, one of them, I can't remember which one it is. It was one I think I wrote last year and a cat actually gets abducted. Now, you know, we have a Bengal cat and she is our princess. And it was like, you can't abduct a cat. You can't steal someone's cat, you know? And it was like, where is this going? And I didn't know, but it worked out well in the end. <laughs> yes. So you mentioned the chef. He's really like a Jamie Oliver type character. He's there running this a bit like MasterChef he's running this um international competition and it's all incredibly glamorous and the woman in the story is there to cover him writing this for a magazine so it's all very kind of chi-chi and, and exciting do you like food yourself do you like writing about food oh my gosh I love writing about food I mean a lot of the photos I take are of food <laughs> you know I mean and even in this country if we go to a restaurant and it's beautifully presented the first thing I say is don't touch your plate, lean back. I need to capture that plate of food because there's such a joy. And I don't like volumes of food. In fact, if I go somewhere and I order, say, pasta and it's a huge mountain, I always say to them, I'll probably eat an eighth of that. And it's not to say that I'm not enjoying it, but I just can't eat a lot of the same thing. And, then you know, it's not yeah. about volume. So when we go somewhere and the food is amazing, um, it's just such a treat you know food is one of those things I mean I like a nice wine and I'd like a a nice place of food and it doesn't have to be volume and I don't mind whether it's starter or main or dessert but if it's a joy and the chef has put his time and effort into making it beautiful then I'm certainly going to photograph it before anyone around the table I'm sitting gets to yeah study. yeah were you a little bit kind of um what's the word, far-sighted far about that research trip because you wouldn't have been able to do much in the way of travel over the last year or 18 months, would you? To be honest, I'm, I'm what's called an intuitive. I've always had it and it's not something I sort of necessarily encourage, but I, I'm sometimes sort of just, it pops into my head and I don't know why, but it was about sort of February or March 2019, way before anything was being mentioned about anything. And I just said to my husband, I think we should do a few research trips all in one go. And that was quite a thing for me because to down tools and be away for sort of like a few weeks at a time is, is very difficult, very difficult indeed, because obviously you've, you've got a, a, a schedule you've got to stick to for other books you're writing. So I said to him, just get them in sort of like as quickly as you can. I think we did it. I think it was June, July, August. We did that over like three months and everything was fine. Nothing was known about anything. And then obviously just before Christmas, just that few months later, suddenly things began to sort of change. So the intuitive part of me, it, and it's funny, and, and, and I do welcome the intuitive part, because sometimes I'm sure in the past it stopped me from, from having what could have been a, a lasty accident. In particular, I was um, driving one day on the motorway and I had a massive Scania lorry to the left of me, 
and I think it was a Spanish track and then English lorry on, on the right of me. And I was sandwiched in the middle and we were going around this bend on the motorway. It was six o'clock in the morning, pouring with rain, pitch black. And the Scania driver, whether he looked at his phone or looked at his directions, he veered into my lane, lifted the back of the car up and dragged us into his lane. And in all honesty, usually my husband drives. I don't drive anywhere as much as him. He's much more, he's a much... Yeah, he is a much more confident driver than I am. But something kicked in. And before I knew it, the Cascania and our car were parked up in the, um, you know, in, in, in the lane inside where if you have an accident, that's, that's where you pull over to. And how on earth, whatever my body did automatically, it stopped us being pushed into the lorry the other side. If that had happened, we would have totally turned instead of slightly skewed. And it could have been horrible, you know, so... Mm. My, I, I go by my instincts. I'm one of those people that say, well, you know, I can't prove it, but it's never sort of steered me wrong. Yeah. So how are you going to go with research for the coming book? So how much has the pandemic affected you? That's perhaps a better way to put it. I mean, I'm sure you've got heaps of, you know, information stored up there in your computer of a brain, but how has the pandemic affected you? To be honest, it hasn't really affected me because I already had two other books where I'd done the research a whole year before. So those were the books that, that I then write. And I'm only now actually writing or have just written and just coming out the books where obviously we, we did that sort of intensive spell of research. And the current work in progress is set in Positano. Well, I know Positano very, very well. So what I said to my husband was, although we could actually probably venture over there, I just didn't have time. And, and it, we would the kids are just back to school. So I spent a lot of time babysitting some holiday. I just wanted to enjoy them even more because we've had some restricted times and it was like, no, the kids come first and I'll, I'll get it done somehow, you know. So basically for Positano, I just said to Lawrence, like, download all of our photos. I think our last trip was about three years ago anyway, and it'll just all come flooding back. And, and it did. And, and in actual yeah. fact, writing has saved my sanity during this last two years basically yeah. is yeah. and I just think as authors we're so lucky to have something we can do from home something that takes us away from what's happening in the world because I I do try and keep up with everything that's going on and it is very hard to keep up this positive projection because um, it's true what they say you manifest what you think and you manifest what you say. So we have to look forward with positivity because I firmly believe there is a lot more good out there than there is bad. But I yes. think we have to remember to be kind to other people and that just because they have a different problem to us, their problem isn't any less serious than our problem. And even if there's something you think, well, if I had that problem, I'd lick it into shape and it wouldn't be a problem. But that's the whole point. You don't have that problem. You've got a different one, you know. Yeah, so I right. think in a way it's made us a little bit more compassionate, made us appreciate our families and, and the freedom of having time with them a lot more. And I've certainly capitalized on it this summer. It's like I'm going to fit in as much time as I can and still write. Even if I got to write later in the day, it doesn't matter, you know. Yeah. So I appreciate yeah. it. It's interesting that you mention about that negativity because I was going to ask you about that. Summer in Provence is an interesting setup. You've got a couple who decide they're going to take a quotes marriage gap. They like a gap year in their marriage because they inherit some money and they both have very widely differing ideas about how they'd like to spend this money. One of them, the husband wants to go off backpacking in Australia and 
to the wife, that's just anathema. That's not a nice holiday for her at all. So they agree that for this year they'll do completely different things. And, of course, potentially there are quite negative aspects to that. And I wondered how you go about balancing the negative because you need the conflict for a good story and the positive. How do you do that? I will be honest with you. When I write, I don't analyse in that way. It's all about the story. It's all about what the characters tell me. And my husband and I met when we were very young. And I think with this book at the heart of it, what I was trying to get to in a slightly different way is that my husband and I are very close and very similar on lots of things and then very different on some other things. So for instance, I, I don't like heights. I'm terrified. I can't go on roller coasters. You know, he, he did drag me up a Welsh mountain, a, a Scottish mountain a couple of weeks ago when we went up to Scotland to do some research and he got me partway up Ben Nevis on in gondolas. And then we did the walk to the little mini peak and when we got to the very top of it, although it was a wide plateau, I sort of like, I, I almost freeze and I sort of grab onto the rocks and it's sort of like this silly woman, what are you doing? You know, there's 12 feet between you and the edge. Yes, I know, but the, it's calling to me, you know, I'm that sort of person. So, and also he's Formula One mad and the minute Formula One starts, yes, I want my favourite driver to win, but I go down for the last lap because I can't stick with the whole thing through, you know. So <laughs> we have our differences and it was just really an extrapolation of that. I think the seed in my mind was, you know, what if you've got two people whose interests are really poles apart on, on some things, although family-wise, they're very sort of like on the same wavelength, and suddenly you get this influx of money, you know you're holding that person back because he would love to climb to the very top of the top peak. What would you do? Would you sacrifice? Would you say, Look, you've always wanted to do that. I, I can't go on a boat. I can't go on a plane because obviously that's part of the story is, is the big reason why. It's not just she's, you know, pandering to her. So, oh, I got a fear. It goes deeper than that. But because of that, she feels guilty. She doesn't want to hold him back. She knows he wants to backpack. So she says to him, right. Well, in actual fact, he sort of raises it. And then she doesn't think it's a very good idea because she sees that as sort of like distancing them in, in a way. And then she sort of, turns it around and she comes to think sort of the guilt kicks in and she thinks, well, you know, he deserves that. And what can I do then? And she's always wanted to paint. So when they go off, the idea is that they share each other's experiences and talk about it every day, which they do, but it sort of tells off a bit because he arrives at the airport expecting to do some sort of charity work, first of all, and he ends up going, he flies into Australia and he ends up going opal mining you know because he meets these guys and they say oh we're going to this opal mine you can make a bit of money because although they they obviously paid off their mortgage and helped other people out they gave each other they, they decided on a set budget they weren't going to just be silly they were going to be and he wanted to do some humanitarian projects as well so she went to sort of like this this place in France and um where she's sort of partly paying for a stay but she can learn to paint and be surrounded by people who were sort of quite like-minded and he's doing his his travel so it was if you like really it was her sort of giving him his freedom knowing that when they got back together the ideal plan was that they would then set well because they've been married obviously for a couple of years they would then start a family and after that who knows when you can travel next or have your freedoms you know so yes. that's the idea behind yes. it so if you like it was just an extrapolation of me sort of that little sort of seed of, you know, well, what happens when you've got sort of major differences and there's nothing you can do about it? You don't want to stop the other piece, person having fun. I wouldn't dream of stopping my husband commandeering downstairs for like 
half a day. Well, no, it's half a day for three days with the pre-race and taking over everything. And I just beetle away and leave him, you know, because that's his, that's his joy, you know. I don't yes. want to spoil yeah. it for him. And yeah. he's the same with me, you know, with the things that I like to do that he doesn't enjoy, you know. So that that place that she stays, it's like an artist collective. And once again, it sounds like it's a wonderful environment. I noticed one of your readers commented online something like, oh, I wish the haven was real. I could spend my life there or some comment like that online from someone. Did you actually stay in something similar to that or was that all your imagination? I try and keep it. I never put the correct names in. If I no. go somewhere and I base it somewhere, like, or like obviously the monastery and certainly with France, because we've been so many times, it was actually the property, the building, the descriptions of the building was it was a manor house we we've stayed in like numerous times and that's more sort of like in in northern France but the actual ideal idea is is probably harks back to to something that would be my idea of a perfect way of living would be to set up a little community whether it's family family and friends or whatever where you grow your own produce you all have your own space you have community space where you, where you come together and you share your skills. And it's it's my idea of utopia, really. And if I was going to put it somewhere, we've had so many wonderful holidays in France. And what I like about France, because we did stay, this, I, I suppose the, the seed prior to that was about was sown about 25 years ago. And this English couple, we booked this sheet for, for two weeks holiday with the boys in the summer. And when we got there, it was a very elderly English couple who'd only been over there about two years. And they went online and bought, you know, you can buy a French village. Well, it was a French village. And I think, judging by probably what they paid for it, they should have known that, that there wasn't going to be much to it. But basically, it was there was an old farmhouse that was run down. There were lots of outbuildings. And they managed to convert one of the sheets. But they were in their sort of... 80s at that point and he was struggling with cancer when we arrived there but we stayed in their perfectly renovated little sheet they had loads of ducks everywhere you couldn't leave the door open because the ducks would waddle in and um, it was sort of like their dream life but unfortunately shortly after we came back the wife got in touch with us and said that the lump in his throat was back he had throat cancer and he died just a few months later and she was her initial reaction, because I said, well, what are you going to do? And she said, oh, I'm going home. And then a few weeks later, she wrote, because we'd had a little conversation. A few weeks later, she wrote to say, I'm staying. Local people are helping me. And some people are going to band together. And I think that probably was the initial seed. And it just stuck in my head. And and I thought, gosh, that's lovely, you know. That's yeah, yeah, that's lovely. And funnily enough, at the end of the and- Andalusia book, something similar happens. It obviously is the theme that you enjoy. I know I keep coming back to it, don't I? I mean, I'm going to have to make it, I'm, I'm going to manifest it, aren't I? You know, if I say it enough, <laughs> yeah. it's going to happen. We'll just move on to talking about the Christmas books briefly because we are running into time. But why are Christmas stories so popular? I mean, obviously it is a thing, isn't it? Christmas stories. People oh. love them. Do you know what? The minute Christmas Day is over, I'm planning for the next Christmas. It's like 364 days to go. For me, it's the time of the year that brings out the best in so many people. And it's a time of the year when there's a lot of sadness because people are on their own. And it's a time of the year when you look around and you see people giving without thinking about the receiving. And I just think all of those things for me, make Christmas a magical time, regardless of what your religion is or what you believe. Any time in, in 
in the year when someone gives without thinking of receiving, stands for ages, hours in the cook kitchen, whether you're a chef or not, cooking for their family, slaving over the stove, wrapping up little presents for the kids. It's not about the amount of money or the number of presents you buy. It's the little bit of thought you put into it. And so for me, I, I live in perpetual Christmas. And my, my husband always says, no, you can't trim up to till the 1st of December. And, and I'm, I've dragged him back into sort of partway through November now. And my aim is the 1st <laughs> of November because, you know, a month isn't long enough to have the trimmings around me and feel festive. You know, I want, I want it for two months, you know. But yeah. the minute it's over, then I'm planning for the next Christmas. And I think particularly when you go through times where there are a lot of bad things going on in the world, you need to keep your spirits up and you need to remind yourself that all these, there are lots of good things. It's just, they don't make it into the news. You know, bad things make it into the news, but what about all the wonderful things people are doing and the kindness yeah. and that? So Christmas, I was a Christmasaholic before I started writing. It's part of my childhood. It came from my mum. I'll always be a Christmasaholic. So for me, I don't care what time of the year it is I'm writing a Christmas book. The first one, um, in the Aysbury series, I, I wrote in it the start of the very first pandemic. And it was just wonderful for me because it was like, OK, I couldn't see my family, couldn't give them real hugs. You know, we did Zoom meetings and cried. Every meeting ended in tears because we just missed each other so much. You know, the kids would be crying. I'd be crying it'd be like, oh, well, that, that was a bit of a disaster. <laughs> and I'd absorb myself. I'd be in a Christmas mode. And, you know, for me, it just saved my sanity. It got me through that very first hard lockdown you know yeah. so I think you know lots of people will always like Christmas books for different reasons but there are also people who won't read Christmas books too early and I'm on a blog tour now for obviously um a Christmas wedding in the, in the Cotswolds and all of those lovely lovely bloggers I mean there are 33 of them I think they they all read it either in like July or August and you sort of think <laughs> that's asking them an awful lot you know <laughs> um, one of my favorite sort of bloggers she's she's lovely grace she's she's really lovely and um she said in there well it made me go out and buy my first christmas bauble so <laughs> I thought, okay that's fine <laughs> yes yeah, so you've really got the double whammy there because you've got christmas and a wedding so <laughs> yeah well they didn't want a christmas wedding they wanted because Emmy really saw herself and some of it's impractical because there are rules around where you can and can't get married but her dream was to be married in a cornfield filled with just like three or four people, the main people in her life around her, and then a big party for the whole village, you know, carte blanche, anyone can come along. But it just didn't work out like that. There's just too much. And she, she's like me. She's a workaholic. She takes on too much and she won't let anything slip. So she has to get it all done, you know. Also, the bit about her being, she was, it's not that she was a reluctant bride, um, but she, it was my experience. Basically, I wanted to marry my husband, but I would have happily trotted off just the two of us, got married with two strangers as witnesses. I didn't want all the things that went with it. So my mum did everything. And I just, we just turned up on the day and we were the first to leave the reception. It was like my husband and I were like, is it too soon to go? Will it look too bad? And I think we got to about eight o'clock and I said, no, we're going because we bought our first house together and we were sort of very young, 18 and 19. And we'd been working on it for, because obviously it was a bit run down. We'd been working on it for about six months, working every day. And uh, we just wanted to get back and enjoy our little nest, you know? So it was, it was, it wasn't for me about, I didn't give really much thought into any of the bits and pieces. My mum did it all and it was lovely. Everyone had a good time apparently, but Lawrence and I, we just wanted to be at home together because it was the first time we'd actually lived together. You know, in, in those days, that's what you did. You stayed at home at that age, you know. Yeah, that's lovely. Yeah. That's why Immy wasn't a reluctant bride, but she couldn't 
visualize because she'd only ha- ever had men in her life because she her mum wasn't around and then her grandma died quite a few years before she couldn't see herself slipping into gowns you know it just wasn't her dream so someone else had to come and rescue her yeah yeah tell us before we move on to talking about some other things like what do you like to read tell us about your other pen name and those books we haven't really covered anything about those tell us yeah. a little bit about those I started writing under my real name Limby Holton and Basically, what happened was I'd always told myself I would write one day, but it would be when I retired, simply because I had uh, my first career was in finance for 20 odd years, which I'm very grateful for because it gave me an awful lot of IT skills I wouldn't have otherwise had. And then I got my dream job. And, and basically, because we've moved 16 times, as you can tell, there must be something in the process that I love. Well, I love painting. I love doing all the detail work. My husband loves doing the building work. And then I love dressing the house, you know, and each house, when we move on, we usually sell all the furniture that goes with it because it's designed to match the house. Well, I got, a, we got about sort of 12 houses in and this, I don't know why, but this property developer happened to see some of my work. I'd done a little job for someone. I did it unpaid. It was just like someone would say, oh, can you come in and just sort of make over this room and and it was friends so so I did and and he got to see it and he said could you do me a mood board for a a four-bed executive show house and I said of course I can thinking oh gosh all right okay so I I went away did a mood mood board had to go back and did a presentation and he said you've got the job he said the only thing is you have to buy everything within two weeks store it somewhere and then probably about a week later when the house is finished you have to then come in with your team and install everything over a weekend because we want to open on the Monday. So I thought, no problem, I can do that. So it ended up my mum, my husband, myself going to my favourite shop, buying all bedding, towels. We had to buy beds, literally. But I mean, I can I can do that. I've done it on, on the houses we've, we've done because we always start again. So that wasn't a problem. So, you know, within the two weeks, I had it all. It was all in storage. And then the developer said, oh, the house isn't ready. So we had this long delay, and um, it's, which was a bit of a nightmare. And then all of a sudden, I got the phone call. OK, we're ready to go. And it's like, Right. Okay. So there were. I had a few sort of friends on standby, and one a daughter of one of our friends who wanted to do interior design. So I said, "Well, baptism by fire, but obviously I'll pay you. But if you come in, you can help with the unpacking. I'll be there telling people where to put things and that, and then you can sort of see the process." So we did it anyway. The long and short of it was, he offered me a full time job. So I said goodbye to my uh, <clears throat> to my uh, <laughs> you know sort of long term career at that point and I thought I'm just going to go for it this is fun so it it was it was wonderful and I I did it for 3 years and then all of a sudden my intuition was telling me my mum was ill and I could see it my brothers couldn't see it everyone thought I was crazy and I thought she's hiding something anyway I said to my husband I've got to spend some time with mum because I was so busy we were only getting sort of a bit of time at weekends and phone calls during the week and I gave up work in December of 2018 and she died at the end of March 2019 but in between she she well two weeks after I gave up work she fell and broke her arm and her hip and she came to live with us so we had some traumatic times because I'm not a natural nurse and it was hard and it was sort of daily care and sleeping in the same we had a little cottage in in our garden we lived in a old hunting lodge at the time and we'd converted like this massive sort of garage thing in in the garden into a little um sort of bedroom a little kitchenette little bathroom for for friends to come and stay so I lived out there with mum virtually for, for, for the last few weeks of her life and it was a, a wonderful magical time very heartbreaking very hard but 
afterwards, it took me a long time to sort of come to terms with it. And I was just so distraught. And, and my husband said, sit down and write. You, mum would want that. You've always wanted to do it. And all I'd done was for my 50th birthday, I'd given myself a present. My present to me was as soon as dinner was over in the evening, I went up to the study and I thought, right, you've been telling yourself all this time you're going to write books, sit and write it. So I wrote, I think it was 130,000 words. And the book never saw the light of day simply because we, we had an accident, water damage and hard drive was taken somewhere to, to get it, um, to get everything downloaded and it got stolen. So the book went, but it didn't matter because it proved to me I could do it. I didn't know how long a book was. So I just wrote it until it was finished. I think it was about 135,000 words. And then nothing happened then for several years until mum's passing. And then I wrote, sat down and I just started with a blank page and I wrote five manuscripts back to back without stopping. Got me through the probate, clearing out her sort of property and, and going through that and lifted my spirits. It just got me through it. And then I Googled it. What do you do when you've got a manuscript? You know, and how long should it be? And should it be in a set genre? And it's like, oh, dear, I think I've done it a bit wrong. But So those were under that other name. Tell us what that name is. Lindby Holton. And Lindby. Each of the first five books I wrote are slightly different because there's quite a bit of my intuitive side in there. And one of them was, it, it was a little bit of a test ground. While they sort of are, they're all uplifting and talk about all the sort of same issues, similar issues, we've all got issues. But the first one is, is very sort of tongue in cheek because it starts with the um, this young lady, she's sort of like in her early 20s and she's somewhere led on a bed and she sees the light and she follows it. And suddenly she's inside someone else's head and she can actually see what's going on in the house. And she's like, well, what's going on here? And it's a very funny tongue in cheek and it goes full circle story. And that was what I was writing, getting through my sort of, you know, the biggest yes. part of my grief with mum. And yeah. it was almost like mum was there and she was she was laughing at me and, and the light would keep flickering. The light next on the desk, I can still see it now in, in that, because I was, my writing desk was actually in the little property in the garden that, that mum had stepped in and, and stayed in. And the light would flicker and keep flickering. I, I would sit there and I'd say, you're here, mum, aren't you? You know what I'm doing. You're happy, aren't you? And it would just every now and again flicker. And it, <laughs> I, I don't know, it it might all be sort of hopium, but do you know what? If I believe it and it gives me comfort, then I think it's fine. So yeah. from there on in, there was, you know, I did sort of four or five titles and they were all sort of slightly different, all great fun to write. And then I started, I wrote two sort of Lucy style books, visiting Greece, Italy, and then I started writing as Lucy as well. So, excuse me, it sort of um, developed from there. But I've taken some, I also had some self-published books and I've recently taken them down. And uh, I will be, once I get through to the end of December, I've got a little gap in my schedule. I'm going to be going through those and editing them because they were the first books I wrote. Oh, that's lovely. Hopefully relaunching them because I think, you know, there's a, there's a romantic comedy in there. That's another laugh. Well, it's a, a two book series, actually. Oh, no, that one's, that one's um, still online. It's uh, the quintessential Gemini and quintessentially yours. And basically... As you can tell, I write from real life. Uh, I'm a Gemini and um, I don't live my life according to my daily horoscope, but this woman does. So basically she gets up. The first thing she does in the morning is, is read the email she gets from, the, from her astrologer and it sort of gives her focus for the day. And it's it's just, again, it's, it's funny. It's a romantic comedy and it's all about sort of how you deal with, with the little sort of problems that come up every day and they get in the way of your bigger picture and misunderstandings. It's sort of dedicated to a very famous astrologer who 
died quite a few years ago now. And it just, well, it there were parts in it that I couldn't believe. And as I was typing, I thought, I don't believe, I don't believe I sort of said that. But yeah, so great. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, great. Look, we are starting to run out of time. So turning to Lucy as reader, this is the joys of binge reading. We just like to tap, tap a little bit into your reading experience and tell us a little bit about books you've enjoyed and ones you might like to recommend to people who are listening. Well, at the moment, unfortunately, I'm a, a binge writer, not a binge reader, and it's been like that for a couple of years now. And I do occasionally read read books to do reviews, but I, it has to be it has to slot into a gap in my itinerary, and it's just really, really difficult at the moment. But I have to say that the books that I would, if I had, if I could take six months off, and that's not going to happen, but if I could take six months off and do nothing but read, I would begin with some of my really old favourites. Because when I was a binge reader, I mean, for instance, when I first got married and, and the boys were young and they'd come home from school and I'd be in the kitchen, I'd be reading. And as I was reading... I'd end up burning something and having to start again. I mean, the number of times, it it was just crazy. Because once I get into a book, and and it was, I would want to revisit the books that inspired me to write in the first place. So I'd be going back to, I mean, Ken Foley was was always a great inspiration. I must admit, because I love the historical side of it. But the, I don't know if you've heard of Sergion Golan. It's, I mean, these books are, are ancient, but I managed to get hard copies of the the entire series, except for the last last one. But Serge Golan was the man, and Golan was his wife. And he did the research, and she did the writing. And so the series is written by Serge Anne, so it looks like one word, Golan, and it's the Angelique series. And that's based in, well, it starts off in France, in Versailles, and then, then goes off to sort of, oh, all around the world various trips and, and all sorts of things. And it's sort of like based in this sort of, I think it starts in the 16th century. It's an amazing series. And I have to say, while I there are loads and loads of readers I love, that series was a series that put in my head, one day you will write a book. Because I just, I just wanted to write a book that someone can curl up in a chair when they're having a bad day with a cup of coffee, cup of tea, slice of cake, biscuit, whatever is their thing, and just escape, but feel that the reader is taking you into their life and you're their friend sitting next to them yeah. and just yeah. telling you the story of their life. And I think nowadays um, there are so many brilliant books out there and it's like people who love Christmas books. You can read, it's, it's funny, it's, you can read one Christmas book and then go through probably 20 or 30 Christmas books and feel you've had a complete experience. And it doesn't matter. They're all in different styles and all by different writers. So I think nowadays, um, the sort of writers I, I would be sort of like looking at would be Sandy Barker, for instance. She's over in Australia. Who else would I recommend? Let me just bring up, if you could just bear me one second, because I keep a list of all the all the books I I read and review. Is Sir, was Sergion, was that originally published in French and translated? Oh, yes. They're, they're, they're absolutely massive books. And, yeah. Oh, I've got it now. They're, they're absolutely massive books. And uh, the series is just, I mean, it takes up, oh, probably my shelf is, sorry, my shelf is is probably, I don't know, three feet long. And I've got them in French as well, although my French isn't good enough to read them. But my husband bought them for me as a romantic present and I just love hugging them, if you know what I mean. 
because you can't <laughs> get them for, for love or money nowadays. I mean, they you, you really can't. Sorry, I'm just trying to get this up to give you some. Um, to give How you do some you spell Golan? Just Golan. Oh, it's G O L O N. G O L A N. Oh, that's how I had spelled O N. O N on the end. Oh, O N. I sorry. Yeah. I've recently read to give obviously some like snippet reviews. Spanish House by Cherry Radford. That's an absolutely delightful read and it's a Spanish adventure obviously Rachel Ryan's Resolution by Laura Starkey that was amazing and that had some truly laugh out loud moments in it and I think in in that one as well that I think most women will recognize a little bit of themselves in the Rachel in in character that the main Rachel in that so the main character in that Rachel oh another one is Endless Skies by Jane Gable she's she's a lovely writer she's she has several books now that's lovely that that's that's fantastic Look, sort of circling around and looking back down your career, if you could change anything, if you could go back and just, you know, redo something, is there anything you would change? And if so, what would it be? I will be honest, I wouldn't change a single thing because my journey has been the journey I was supposed to take. If I'd started writing in my 30s, I wouldn't have had the life experiences I needed because in between what I, I missed out in between my sort of financial career and my my home by design career, there, there was a little gap period of a couple of years. And my husband and I did nothing but renovate houses. So we'd live in it, renovate it, sell it. And I think we did three in two years. And while we were doing that, obviously, we didn't have an income, which was quite a brave thing. So we both took part time jobs in a in a um, nursery, a little nursery that sold flowers and plants. Well, actually, it was a big one over here, sold flowers and plants. He actually worked in the plant section. So he was the tender chopping and, and watering. And I worked in like the gift, the gift shop. And even experiences like that, they they just give you a wealth of ideas. And all of the 16 properties we've lived in, we've lived in an old converted stables that had been converted in the 80s. And uh, the old woman had died in the property just before we viewed it. And I walked through the door and being intuitive, I obviously knew she was still there. My husband couldn't feel it, so it was fine. And it hadn't been updated since the 80s. So it was like 30 years out of date. And uh, I knew it was going to be fine. And we moved in there. We extended it. We renovated the whole thing. She was very happy. And then she left. As soon as the property was finished, she left and we left it. But that, again, that was in a tiny little Hamlet community. And certainly my Lynn books, for instance, if I say like coming home to Penven and Cove and the second one is due out, I think it's next month. And I'm just halfway through the third one, but that's parked at the moment because I've got this other deadline. Um, But the basis for that sort of community feel was was informed by living in that little hamlet. Also, we lived in in Arlingham, which is on the edge of the River Severn. And that was a tiny little community that would get snowed out. Whenever there was snow, you were snowed in. And to live together in a very small community where you have to help each each, each other out, the wealth of experience that gave me, and I wouldn't have had a lot of that if I'd started writing any earlier. So yeah, yeah. I probably would have written, but it probably would have been totally different. So I honestly think there is nothing I would change. And every mistake I've ever made, every wrong thing, you know, that I've had to discover and discover more than once has taught me so much. It's priceless, you know. So I never, never live in regret. And when I'm facing... Um, something that doesn't feel fair or is really arduous, I just think, right, what's the way to get out of this and get myself back to where I want to be? You know, and I've, I've had a lot of hard, hardships in my life because I've, I've, I've 
lost four babies and two before one son and then two between that and having my, my second son. So there have been not very pleasant times that my husband and I have had to get through somehow and obviously losing my mum and then losing my dad and I was the one who had the main sort of involvement with that. I was the one that was there holding my dad's hand when he died, just me and my dad, he was on our own and uh, with my mum I was the last one to see her and she chose to die a few hours later and then I went back and I was the first one to sit and hold her hand which was wonderful, I mean it was her, that was her choice but um, all of those things have just shaped me and it will filter through into my writing because I think whether or not, well, because I'm not a planner, because I just go with a one-liner when I sit down, obviously a lot of that will come from my experiences, you know, and I don't plan the plot. The, it goes where the characters want to take it. So I sort of fill in, in a way, really, they, they lead me, but obviously it's what's in my subconscious that sort of filters into their plot, you know. Yes, but we really have come to the end of our time. So I imagine that you really enjoy interacting with your readers how do you go about that and where can they find you on social media twitter is my main thing really i i do go on facebook on my two author pages um to post things but, but i bit of a disaster on facebook so uh, that's a bit of hit and miss but all the information about my books will be on there and i do obviously have two websites i have a, a limby holton website and a lucy coleman author website but certainly Twitter, I'm always, anyone can always contact me. And also on my website, there's a contact page. I get an awful lot of emails from people. And oh, I get some, sometimes I read an email and I just think, I can't believe someone has said this. Do you know what I mean? They'll say, based on, I think it, was it Summer Andalusia? No, I think it was Positano. I think based, oh, no, not Positano. Gosh, I think it was, which one was it? Oh, Summer in Provence. Based on Summer in Provence, a lovely lady wrote and said that, her and her friends, and this was during lockdown, she said her and her friends were so fed up and they were having Zoom meetings. They said, right, we've always going to, going to sort of say, we've always said we'll plan a trip together. We're going to go and do a girls thing. And I think their kids are about sort of early teens. She said, we're now going to do it. We've read your book. We're just going to go off together and we're going to do it. We're not going to put it off anymore. She said, and as soon as lockdown is, we're out of lockdown. She said, we are going to book something so we can't sort of chicken out of it. She said, and it was really just reading, reading that story and just feeling that lift that, if you do something to make a change, it, it can take you to a totally another place. You know, it can, it can, all your worries are suddenly shared and you come back and you start to see things in a slightly different way. You know, I mean, about three weeks ago, we went to Scotland for a week to do book research for a book I'm writing sometime next year. And um, we went right up into the Highlands and it, it was absolutely wonderful. And at the time I sort of thought, well, I've got deadlines. I really should be writing, but I'm going to go. And while we're there, we've, there won't be time for me to write. Although I did slot in one day of writing but we had so many things to sort of see and photograph but do you know what the peace we were we stayed in a hotel on the edge of Loch All and there was nothing there on a 44 um, acre estate there was just this hotel and it was wonderful and intuitively I knew I had to go I couldn't spend a lot of time writing I couldn't spend any time on social media while I was up there I was supposed to rest and I did and I came back and what a shot in the arm that was you know, so I think, yeah. you know, even if these these tales of exotic places, even if people are ill and a lot of my readers are have serious illnesses and armchair readers because they can't go anywhere, at least I hope it makes them feel like they've been there. So hopefully I'll catch readers both ways. I'm sure they do, Lucy. I'm sure they do. So thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you so much, Jenny. I mean, it's been a delight and it's such fun to speak to you today. Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. 
You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading. The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, services at gmail.com or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone as a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.